Welcome to Show Up and Surrender. This is a podcast about life, the good, the bad, and everything that can happen in between. From those big life-changing events to something from your day-to-day routine. My name is Biddy. I'm a yoga teacher and I live in the Netherlands. I'm very excited to share the conversations that I have with you. How do you show up and surrender for yourself? Showing up by giving yourself what you need and surrendering to the current moment instead of always striving to be better or looking towards the future, I invite you to every now and then be in the here and now with me for just a moment. I hope this podcast will feel like you are sitting next to me at my kitchen table with your drink of choice, having a good conversation. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone. I'm really excited to welcome back to the podcast our regular co-host, Stephen. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, Biddy. I'm so happy to have you back. And we had a couple of possible topics that we wanted to talk about. But one of the things that was high on my list was prompted by a performance that I saw of yours last year. I think it was it was somewhere in the fall. Was it August? Something like that? Mm, I think it was August. Yeah. Yeah. And... I wished, I so wished that I could have traveled to see it in person, but I was so happy that there was a live stream and the recording after, because I'll admit to you, I've watched it three times by now because I was so impressed by it. You did a uh, performance about something very personal, I think, but also something very recognizable, I'm sure, for everyone who is living with a disability. And... I just wanted to talk to you about that more because it is, I think, for one, an important topic to talk about. And I think a lot of people are not aware of these things that you talk about in this show. But also because, and I know you're not comfortable with receiving compliments, but I'm going to do it anyways. It was such a mind-blowing performance. I cried, I laughed, and... I did it every single time. Every time I rewatched it, I cried again. I laughed out loud again. And that is because of the whole package, because of the way you tell a story, because of the way it was set up, and also about how how much you share. It is such an open, vulnerable, and honest way of storytelling. And I just, yeah, I, I need everyone to see this. So I'm gladly using this platform to tell more people about it. No, oh, thank you, Biddy. Uh, that's uh, yeah, it's very awkward to hear, but I I really appreciate it because I think I did put a lot of. Uh, it's very different to anything I've written before. The poetry that I normally write is much shorter. This was, I think, like twelve pages long. It was you know nearly forty five minutes. Um, it was more of a kind of one person monologue with some different characters that I voice. Uh, and it is about a topic that's incredibly personal, you know, and you got some very personal places about my own disability, uh, about my own uh, thoughts on my own perceptions of disability. I sort of deconstruct a little bit my own thoughts about disability in general and whether or not, you know, I have stereotypes of other disabilities, you know, you know, it's, it's easy for me to say that I feel as though, you know, I can be marginalized, but I think sometimes you've got to question if you, if you're doing that yourself. 
Mm. Um, and uh, also just about a process that I live with applying for this benefit on a sort of fairly regular basis and just wondering how this is a process that is is fair and why millions of people are having to do this on a regular basis. And I was really grateful to be given the opportunity to um, to do that, I think, uh, the, the theatre company that, that commissioned me. How did it come about? Did they approach you or...? Yeah, so I'd... Um, I'd been uh, approached to go and read, uh, to do like a short poetry set in Coventry. So Coventry is a city in the uh, the Midlands of Eng- of England, and I'd I'd gone up there. Uh, I was reading from my first poetry collection, and there was someone in the audience, a guy called Chris, uh, who's uh, part of this theatre company, Theatre Absolute. He, afterwards he sent me an email or he, I think he came up and he bought the book and then I got a contact from them afterwards and was like would you like to come and do something for us we really like the way that you performed your poetry there was a performance to it there was a real intimacy to it and it's really personal and we would like you to do something bigger for us and they were uh, they were commissioning a number of artists to um, write pieces for a theme, like a, a, a schedule of work that they were doing on the subject of Humanistan. So Humanistan was like, what would what would a fairer society look like? And you know, what would what would it what would a world look like where everyone was a bit kinder to each other, or if things the, the playing field was a bit more level? You could basically just interpret that however you want. And I'd uh, I'd gone up to meet them, and I think I'd saw happened. I didn't really know what I was going to write about or talk about or what ideas I was going to pitch. And I'd had an assessment for this disability benefit the week before. And I was really upset from it afterwards. And I was like, I feel really angry. I feel like I need to tell people about this process. And I was talking to them about it and they were like, that sounds good. <laughs> like, yeah, let's have that and see what you do. And they were really fantastic. Chris and Julia, who are the two people that I, I dealt with mainly just wonderful, just the, the best people to work with and just really, really excellent at their jobs, but in also in just coaxing this material out of you and just allowing you to kind of be yourself. I basically just said, write what you want, send it to us, we'll have a look at it. But what they wanted to do was have a um, a sort of scratch feel to the performances so by by that what i mean is that it, it doesn't look like it's it's overproduced it means like if you if you'd gone to a a festival and you'd maybe sat on a hair bale in a tent you might watch a performance like this and so it, it wanted to have a kind of electricity to it that felt of that of that moment so that's it's, you know it wasn't overly propped there wasn't fancy lighting there wasn't loads of different bits it was just me and i was able to read off off paper which really helped me i i was really intimidated by having to learn 45 minutes worth of of stuff and we had a few back and forths i sent them an initial copy they were like oh i think it's all right took some feedback on board sent the next one they were like we're on with it this is this this is good and i was i was commissioned in the i think in the july and i was meant to perform it in the march 20 21 i think it was 
but we can't obviously do March because of COVID. So I was meant yeah. to go up there and do three or four performances, I think, in the week. And in the end, it kept getting moved. But actually, moving it was a real blessing because it meant that we thought, how can we get this to a wider audience? So I think if we'd done it at the time it was meant to do, it would have just been me performing to a room of people. What we were able to do was do this this live stream at the same time, which meant the audience was much bigger. And there was, uh, you know, we had uh, a British Sign Language interpreter. There was somebody doing uh, a live text uh, so that you could read along at the same time. And we made the text available. And it made it really, really accessible as well. So for me, that was became so in, in important to making this work because it's if i'm talking about accessibility i wanted this to be an accessible performance exactly yeah and uh yeah so it really means a lot to hear that it resonated with people and that people were able to watch it at home at the same time as people in the room and that it happened at the same time you know it was the first i went to stay in coventry for a week it's the first time i'd really been away for that long during the pandemic i was staying in a hotel i was worried about catching covid i was having to right. lateral floor test to, every day to ask, yeah. how did that feel yeah it was really it felt it added an extra level of stress that i think again made it feel a bit more electric you know i really wanted to there was a like an energy that was coming to these performances because i was filled with such adrenaline beforehand yeah and during the performance uh and a lot of rehearsal uh and chris who was a uh, who's the dramaturg uh, dramaturg is someone that kind of is not just a, a director they're a bit more than that they kind of look at the whole performance um mm -hmm. maybe props they might look at you know they build the whole they build the whole thing and I'd, I'd not worked with someone like that before and he was allowing he was getting my voice to come across to feel natural reading to uh to be comfortable to ad lib ad lib and go off script but then to also know that I'd ad lib on the first rehearsal and he'd be like, that's good, keep that in. But you've got to make it sound like it's an ad lib. And then I'd have to rehearse it maybe 20 more times and do the same ad lib 20 times. So it eventually became part of the script, but it needed to sound like it wasn't part of the script. But also know that each time I did it, I was adding in an extra ad lib each time, an extra little bit. So it, what started off, the first time I read it, about 20 minutes became this sort of 45 minute. That's amazing. Bit. Yeah. So it was really, it was a really fascinating, fascinating process. I, I loved every second of it. Can you tell us a little bit more about the topic? Because um, I think we've been talking about it for a while, but people might be wondering, what is <laughs> Pip? What was this show about? Yeah. So it, it was called, it's called A Life with Pip. And Pip stands for personal independence payment. Uh, so I have a disability. Uh, people that have listened to this before will know that. For those that don't and haven't listened before, uh, I'm a paraplegic wheelchair user. Um, so my legs, my legs don't work. I was injured when I was 16 uh, and uh, I've been a wheelchair user for 26 years. That will never change. My, my uh, disability is, is permanent. So it won't change unless you know there's some sort of miracle thing but that is is somewhere off so you know you get into the mindset of this is forever when i had my accident there was something called disability living allowance 
I don't know if this sort of stuff exists in every country in the UK. Yeah. It does, yeah. Well, it did, and it's changed here as well. Yeah, so it's really difficult. So I think, you know, basically, disability living allowance was a, a, a payment that you receive each month to help with the additional costs of, of, of having a disability. So, um, you know, and people might be like, well, what are the additional costs of having a disability? Well, I, as an example, I've just placed an order for my new wheelchair my new wheelchair will arrive in three months. Uh, the cost of that wheelchair is six and a half thousand pounds. So, and I'm likely to have that wheelchair for six years. So that's a thousand pounds a year for that will have that chair. That is a brand new car. You know, that is, a, that is the yeah. cost of that. Now, it's it, I have chosen the top end of the, the range um, of, of wheelchairs. You know, I'm fortunate enough... Again, this is not part of PIP. There is an additional payment that I can apply for called a uh, a personal wheelchair budget. So I get money towards it. It's probably, it's just under less than a third. So I could use that and buy a wheelchair for that. But for the needs that I have for my, for my height, I'm six foot seven. For the fact I need something that is very specific, very made to measure, very lightweight for me to be able to get around. This is the chair that I want. And also, why should I not choose the chair that I want? I was about to say, like, this is, it is not just something that you should be looking for the bare minimum. This is where you need to get everything the best it can possibly be so you can live your life in the That's best it. possible way, right? That's it. You, th- th- That's it. Yeah. That's it. Just the fact that you might even have to, the feeling that you have to explain why you want the top end instead of like the bottom of what you might get by with, that already is just yeah. shows me a little bit about how off a lot of things are. Exactly. Of course you want that. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And it's like, uh, but people people think, well, why do you, you know, why you've been given X money? Why don't you just buy a chair for that? I mean, it's like, I don't know, like trying to run a marathon in a pair of high heels. It just wouldn't work. It's a pair of shoes. It's you could do it, but you, you don't do recommend it, doing it. You don't yeah. want to do it, yeah. But I think that associated cost, it's not... So that is that is an essential cost for me, is a wheelchair. But things like flights are more expensive. Uh, you know, hotels are more expensive. It's really difficult to get... You don't have a full... And all these things are people like, well... You know, you don't have to go on holiday. You don't have to travel. You don't have to do this. But day-to-day stuff is also more expensive. And, um, you know, again, as an example, we've just bought a house. We've moved into this house. And the only house that we could get was a two-story house. Mm -hmm. So we had to have a lift fitted. That lift cost £20,000. That is not money that you've got. I was lucky that I um, uh, took... Uh, early retirement from work so I was able to use some of that but I'd still I'd rather have bought a camper van do you know what I mean I'd rather have bought anything than spending that on a lift and I think so when people begrudge the fact that you're having to like think oh you should be grateful you're getting a couple of hundred pounds per month you know it's like it doesn't it really is a drop in the ocean and then the 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 process that you have to go through to 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 do this is is very very humiliating and um i i say i believe it's it's dehumanizing i think that's the word i don't know you know um and it 
it just it reduces you to a series of questions where you have to think about being at your most helpless and i just think the whole thing is wrong so you, there's a there's a whole form that you have to fill out now i did this when i was uh maybe a couple of years after my accident so i was like 19 so i was i was also really independent and i filled this form out at first and i didn't i didn't i didn't get the benefit then i had to get a solicitor and we had to go to an appeal and we had to go through a big process and then basically i turned up to the appeal and I pushed into the room and they took one look at me in the chair and was like, oh yeah, you should have benefits. And I was awarded benefits for life because my disability is permanent. Yeah. Um, then the government changed that process because, because people thought it was an easy system to manipulate and like benefit cheats and all that sort of stuff. Uh, they brought in something called PIP, which stands for personal independence payment. And again, I had to go through and there's, anybody that has been through this process you sort of had like a ticking clock to knowing when it's going to come in so you know at some point it's going to be your turn and the anxiety that that has brought for millions of people thinking that they're going to lose their benefits they're going to lose an income they're going to lose part of what helps them get by and having to go through the humiliation of doing this process again is just was just horrendous and um uh you know, we can go into a bit about some of the questions and things, but um, I just think it. I just think it's wrong. I just think the whole way the process is is designed is wrong. It reduces, as, I, as I've already said, it reduces people to a series of questions where you are under the microscope and feel like you're trying to be caught out. You feel like you're doing something wrong by answering these questions, and what they're looking for is is buzzwords. Then they're, they're looking for sentences that they can tick a box and they'd say and then at the end of it there's a your answers are like a, a number is assigned to each answer and if you get a certain score you qualify for a certain benefit and if you don't get that score you don't and i didn't i again i had to go to i, I didn't pass the first round and i had to have i had to appeal um and then in the end i i, I did get it again and you know in five years time i'll have to do it again you know this process is it, will come is it like again. every five years it or? is now i think yeah i think it's something like that because th that is just it's it sounds so insane when you know that like when every person that's that's been involved in your medical history will testify that this is a permanent thing that this is not changing in what world is it okay then to have you reapply every couple of years i just I, it's very hard for me to understand. And I looked it up because, of course, I knew that we were talking about this. So I looked up the equivalent to PIP in the Netherlands, and it's the same. Mm. And I was, I was looking at the language on the website here in, in the Netherlands, and it said, of course, if you get this money, there are certain rules that you have to abide by. And I was like, okay, so let me just check out real quick. I glanced over the rules, and the rules were things like, you have to prove that you are actively trying to better your health. And you have to uh, prove that you are not able to do the things um, to provide a full income for yourself. And I was like, how can you ask this of people? So I, I was very... Wow. I got so angry because you need to improve your health. 
what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. Well, it doesn't mean anything. It means... Right? Oh, it's just as frustrating. Oh, wow, it's just as frustrating. I'm going to write another one. <laughs> yeah. The, but it's <laughs> just... Should. But I think it's... You know, but that's... that. That is where it's that is where it's wrong. That's where it's the same here. Is that you're, you know, what some of the things that I was talking about is actually rather than the questions of like what help do you need, right? This is where a lot of the questions are based around what help do you need. Yes. And on a on a good day, I am I have geared my house towards needing as little help as possible because why would I make my house a hard place to live? Yes. That's where they're coming. That, that's where they come and assess you in your own home, where you've gone out of your way to make it as accessible as possible. They interviewed me on the street, where I was trying to get into a shop or a pharmacist or a dentist, or I was trying to reach things down off a shelf, or I was trying to get onto a train. They would see the hardship you have on a day-to-day -day basis, but they don't. They do it in your house, where you're as comfortable as possible, where you've gone out of your way to make it as straightforward as possible. So not even think about being disabled. Because that's where you want you just want to you want time off from all the other stuff that's out there that you have to deal with and i think like so the questions are geared around what help do you need but i think if they flipped it and it was like what what will help you live your best life what will help you fulfill your potential and this is some money that will help you do that like why that i think people would do different things so you know that might then mean that somebody might they might use that money to go on holiday but yeah. that might improve their health. Of you know, course. that that might improve their health more than going for physio each week, which is tiring, which is, you know, hard work, which is the public transport exhaust me. Um and yeah, I that's where I think again, there's something that I talk about in the play where I said there's about eleven million people in the in the UK who've got a disability. That is the that is there or thereabouts the population of London. Wow it's just daft that these people are having to do the same thing because maybe a small percentage, maybe 1% of those people might be trying to screw the system. Yeah. Everybody else is being punished because of that. Everyone else is being, uh, you know, is being eyed suspiciously that they're trying to pull a fast one and they're not. They're just like, I don't want to do this. They're just trying like, to live their life. I'm just trying to live my life. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, and you know, and and none of this would matter if society was more, if things were more accessible, if I could get on a train, if I could get into shops, if I could go to a dentist w without having to worry about. I find it, I find it mind blowing that there, there are, there are more dentists that are inaccessible to wheelchairs than there are that are, are accessible to wheelchairs. Having your teeth checked should be a basic human right. Yes. And so, instead of sorting that stuff out. They're citing people's houses, making them feel bad because on a good day they can transfer onto a commode to be able to use the bathroom. <laughs> and, on a, and that's classed as independence. That That's where I think this stuff is really, really screwed. It really is just all over the place in terms of its, in terms of its fairness. Yeah. And I, I think something that really um, stood out to me from watching your performance was also... Like you can tell that forms like that are thought up by people behind a desk thinking like, okay, what do we need to know? And it's not about the effect that having to answer those questions will have on the person that is filling out that form. That is not taken into account. I think it's just basically about the outcome. 
Mm. And I hadn't really thought about it, but it made so much sense when you said that they are forcing you to think of the worst version of yourself health-wise, where everything else that you're trying to do is to is geared towards feeling your best and being mm. able to feel your best, providing means for yourself to just feel comfortable in the things that you're doing. And then to be forced again and again to actually put down on paper <laughs> how it is on your worst days. It's cruelty, isn't it? Mm. It absolutely is. And I was, I was, I was broken after that, after the assessment. I did, they left the house and I was just like, what is this? You know, like get out, like don't come yeah. into my house and make me feel like this. Don't come into my house and make me, you know, question and like, and, and, and drag up every day that I felt terrible or every day that I've like, you know, felt, um, uh, I've been unwell and, and like, don't judge me because what you consider to be a good day is the bare minimum for me. You know, and the one thing I, 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 without going into too much detail in case people are listening to this over their breakfast or a meal, but the one, the one example that I give is about using the bathroom. Using the bathroom is something that people to go to the toilet is something that people just don't have to think about. You know, yeah. if you're lucky enough to lucky enough to feel like that for me, it's an exhausting process. So three times a week I get up at my alarm goes off at four thirty. I go into the bathroom I'm in the bathroom for five. I come out of the bathroom just before eight. So that's a three hours wow. that it takes to empty certain things. And it's not just, it is an exhausting process. I am physically exhausted after that. Before my son came along, I would go back to bed for maybe two hours afterwards. And that is one of the reasons why I ended up having to give, give up work because I was going into work and I was falling asleep at my desk. So actually I wasn't able to, sustain myself really beyond 10 o'clock i was so tired the question that you're asked is can you use the bathroom without assistance my answer to that is yes if you just answer the question then yes yeah yes but where is the context so that there's no thought behind that's why the questions are so loaded you know so there's an example that i give in the in the piece where i was like imagine you to use the bathroom you had uh, to use sandpaper instead of toilet roll. Mm -hmm. And I was like, imagine that if someone said, uh, and uh, the toilet seat was covered in barbed wire or broken glass. You would be scared every time you went to the bathroom. It would be excruciating. The agony that you would feel every time you, you, you went to the, to, the, to the toilet. So somebody might say like, can you use the bathroom on your own? You'd be like, yeah, but the pain I feel every time I go in, the 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 effort that is there, I, I have to use this sandpaper. It just doesn't work. It's just like it, you would feel yourself getting more and more stressed and like your chest tightening. But all they've heard is yes. And that, yeah. that it, you know, it's an extreme example, but I, I used the extremity of it to make the point that actually for me, it is excruciating and it is exhausting. And my entire week is governed around that that is one part of living with a disability for me for with my disability that's just one part mm -hmm. there are maybe a hundred two hundred parts that go into stuff that i have to do that is different than say my wife does yeah. or the next door neighbor or whatever but the reality is i'm making assumptions there 
because I don't know what my next door neighbor is doing. And that is the thing is that, you know, that context of and the assumptions that we make and the, the fact that I push about in my chair and I have a smile on my face and I'm independent and I can travel about on my own and I can fly to New York independently and go on holiday and do certain things means that people think your life is straightforward and actually all you do is you sit in a wheelchair and it's much more complicated than that and all of the all of that as is life you know we've become very binary in the way that we look at everything it's either black or it's white the, yes. the gray in the middle where the conversation and the reality is doesn't happen you know no one wants to have that conversation anymore about anything and um you know that that bit is completely lost and i think again that that is just where some of the frustration comes out for me is that you know you are asked a question that only has a one word answer and if you give the wrong answer you don't get a point you know yeah, it's, and just, it's never a one word answer for no, anyone right no. it's is there space at all to talk about the gray either in the in the form like is there space for you to give extra input there there is but it's not it really does come down to as 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 simple as do you need help with these certain things you know yeah. what help do you need to uh to plan a journey what help do you need to um manage your finances what help do you need to cook a meal what help do you need to uh uh, get dressed you know these are sort of questions that i think if you asked anybody they would be annoyed at being asked but of course i can put my claws on myself it's fine the fact that 26 years of pushing my chair means my rotator cuffs and my shoulders so when i do put on my claws it's painful doesn't matter because i'm not having help doesn't matter you can do it yeah doesn't no. matter the fact what help do you need to cook a meal I don't need any help. I do the cooking in the house because I've geared the kitchen up that way. doesn't mean that occasionally when I'm really tired that I will put a pan that I've taken off the stove onto my knees rather than putting it onto a tray. And the amount of burn marks that I've got on my legs from doing that doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. So I think it's, um, it, it was, it felt very cathartic <laughs> to be able to write this down. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to read us? I would. Yeah, I really would. And I'm trying to think actually which bit I was going to read something from the start, but I maybe given that we've given a bit of context, I'll tell you what, I'm going to read a bit from the middle. Mm -hmm. So this is, um, I'll start here a bit of context. I start with an extract from a letter that I received to say my appeal had been allowed the first time. This was back when I was 19. Um, uh, and so the first bit is that, and then I'll go into the uh, the bit that I, I say. Dear Mr. Lightbound, the appeal is allowed. You are entitled to the higher rate mobility component for an indefinite period. This is because you are virtually unable to walk. Let me just read that last part again. This is because you are virtually unable to walk. Virtually. 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 We change virtually for almost almost able to walk which bit of my diagnosis did they miss my spinal cord was severed in two these legs are not moving permanent paralysis is not almost being able to walk 
What a strange thing to write. And yet, this is the bit where they told me I've had some money and they're still, still doing this. Even if I've missed anything, anyone knows what they mean by the word virtually, can you tell me? So even when making the award, they have to give one last kick in. Or were they planting a seed for what was to come? Because the word I should have paid attention to, the word I should have been angry about, was indefinite. My paralysis is for life, but turns out benefits were only until Pip arrived. You see, disability living allowance was doing okay, but there's only so much outrage you can manufacture about flat screen TVs and supposed benefit cheats before governments start trying to win votes. Let's be real. I know you might have clocked that I'm wearing a Tommy Hilfiger shirt and thinking, how can I afford that on benefits? But again, you're missing the point. You're just looking at what's in front of you. So out with the DLA and in with Pip. Here to weedle out the few, but it has ended up punishing the many. The result, reassess everyone, millions of people. There's 11 million people in the UK with a disability. That is the entire population of London. Is the assumption that we're all trying to pull a fast one. Trust me, I am not sat in this wheelchair for an all-time great practical joke. And I'm telling you, they make this as difficult as possible so people either fail, give up appealing, or die. You think that sounds harsh? Talk to any disabled person who's been through the process. Just ask them what they think. Yeah, that's one section. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, I think the next bit I'll read is, is more about, it's about thinking of the number of people and feeling really emotional about the number of people that have had to go through this. Mm-hmm. Every time I look at Pip, I think of them. These people who went through ordinary actions, falling off a bicycle at traffic lights, slipping on the last step on the stairs at home, sledging in the snow. They've been given this extraordinary capacity to be resilient. And I know each of them will have sat and gone through this, felt the way I do now. How many of them have sat talking to Pip and wanted her to understand, to listen? See, I had my accident back when I was 16. I'm 42 now. And Pip isn't like that. Look at her. She sat with her. I must interject and say that I made Pip into a character. Like it was an annoying clipboard with a, a grating voice. Yeah. Look at Pip, sat here with us in front of my bookcase and washing. She's so haughty. Tell me, Mr. Lightbound, why do you need this money? Why do any of you need this money? What do you possibly want to do? Dreams? 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 Don't be ridiculous. Dreams are for the rest of us. Come on, Pip. I've just ordered a new chair. How much do you think I've paid for it? What do you think? Go on, have a guess. 500 a thousand pounds, two thousand pounds, six and a half thousand pounds. That's how much it costs. Movement, independence, the ability to push to the shop to buy a pint of milk. That's what six and a half thousand pounds gets you. I looked online earlier, and you can buy a camper van for that. A camper van. That's basically a house. So my chair is more expensive than a house. Thank you for reading that. Yeah, it's still, it it touches me. Like, it's like, I don't know, I can't find words. I'm sorry. It's just, 
it makes me angry with you and it makes me um so frustrated with the world that we live in yeah because we can do so much better can't we we can we can and particularly now i think even now i look at things that had happened to make things more accessible or so i thought mm -hmm. so the amount of uh yoga classes as an example or mm -hmm. gigs or book readings or whatever it might be that had moved online the amount of those that have come offline now and gone back to in person and what people see is that they've got a room full of people what they're not seeing is the room is the, the the people that are not in that room because they're not able to be yeah and uh, they've just chosen to ignore those people because they're, they're they're catering to the to the to the able masses that can make it to a to a venue and what it what you realize is actually a lot of these venues these events these services that went online didn't do it because it was the right thing to do they did it because it was bringing in money so they were happy to take the money of people that weren't able to do these things that weren't able to access these services before and now they're like thanks very much but we're going to go back to online that's not necessarily related to this but i think it it, it it's stuff that is is really refueling this this anger you know of uh uh of of just not being able to to do what is just basic stuff it's basic human right things to be able to do and um it's just not accessible to so many people i'm reading it again i found myself actually i think if i'd read it a couple of times i could have got really back into the zone of being really angry again and it's it's that's the first time i've read that maybe in about six or seven months yeah and uh i'm no less angry than i was when i when i wrote it and it feels a little bit cathartic every every time and what's frustrating is like i've tried to I've I've uh, promoted it a few times, but and and have and have offered it to other theatres and other other places, and it's not something that people want to. It's, I haven't been booked to read it anywhere else, and so I don't have a an outlet, which I'm really sort of frustrated by because it's just not a it's not a sexy topic, and it's it's harsh to it's like harsh truths that people don't want to be confronted with. It it confronts their own prejudices and yeah. um yeah it's uh I fi i i'm finding it frustrating that i've i've got this this thing that i want to say fortunately the theater that was was wonderful and and commissioned me to write it it's online and people can go and watch it they can go to the theater absolute uh youtube page and it is we'll there put the, it is, we'll put the link yeah. here as well because i think people will want to see the whole performance now it's there to be watched and i think it's um I'm not saying because I wrote it. I'm saying it because I think it's important for people to watch and understand what people are going through, um, you know. And it's not something that really gets spoken about a lot in arts. And I've talked to poetry is, is my part of the arts that I'm mainly most familiar with. And I've spoken to people and they say, because it's so raw, I can't squash all that I want to say into a short poem. You know, I can't, I can't do that. I can't write a short story and I can't live this every night. If I was to write a play about it, I can't sit on stage and read this. And also I feel like actually if I write this and I sit on stage and I'm reading this and I'm performing it, someone's going to see that I'm doing this and therefore I'm going to be judged again. And they say that you, you're independent because you can do these things. And so I'm going to get, so I don't want to go there. I don't want to run the risk of someone seeing it and taking it away from me. So I think it isn't something really that many people write and talk about but it's so important really is yeah i think people need to be aware to be able to make changes right and 
even for, for, I don't think the government will change it anytime soon because that's just apparently not how governments work. But I think the more people become aware of things that happen in other people's lives, it's so easy to get stuck in the way you live your life and thinking that that's normal for everyone. It's, it's, I'm so glad that you're sharing this. I'm glad that it's cathartic because I can also imagine that it must be really hard to share something that you're so angry and so frustrated with, but still know it's that important. I, I can imagine that it must be a double-edged sword almost. Yeah. Well, I think it was the, again, the, the pandemic really brought a lot of this home. I think when I saw people complaining about having to wear a, a mask or not <laughs> yeah. being allowed into a, a shop if they had to wear a mask or having to divulge uh, a vaccine history to be able to mm -hmm. access a certain service or being able to, um, you know, needing to, to conform or share medical history or whatever it might be. And people being outraged, you know, thousands of people took to the streets about having to wear masks. How can you ask this of us? How? Yes. Yeah, that for me and for people with disabilities is daily life. You know, for me to be able to get on a train, for me to be able to get on a train in the UK, I have to book assistance 24 hours in advance. And to be able to, uh, not the tube in, in London, mm -hmm. like a, an overground train, and to be able to book that assistance, I have to divulge uh, a form's worth of information about my personal needs to be able to just get on a train. That's the sort of stuff that people are having to do during the pandemic and we're taken to the streets to protest about. Yeah. Not one of those people... It's an exaggeration. Maybe there is one of those people. But I would guess the majority of those people haven't thought that there are millions of people sat inside who, for this is a really real thing, who are having to go through this on a daily basis and then think, I don't like how that felt and this is only happening to me for a short window of my life. These people will deal with that on a daily basis. I think I'm going to protest about that. Those protests haven't happened. No. So, you know, I think... Uh, what happens is we thought the pandemic would make us more humane towards each other. We thought all the clapping we did for care workers and all that sort of stuff, that it would lead us. It didn't. People just went back to being selfish and thinking about themselves and doing their own thing yeah. and not ignoring the people that really need help. And our focus and our time and our energy is on campaigning for the wrong things. Some, some protests, don't get me wrong, are really important. A lot of the things that people take to the street about there's other things that are happening that I think some of that energy could be, could be shared elsewhere. Um, and, uh, yeah, that might be an unpopular view with some people, but I don't know. It's a, it's an observation that has been hammered home to me over the past couple of years. I, I do think people are really rushing to get back to normal and I don't think our normal was that great. So, I, I, and just to say, Biddy, that word normal, that is such an important word for me because there are people that are rushing to get back to normal and there are millions of people who for they are striving for normal. Yes. And they are they are striving to be accepted as normal. They are striving to just live a normal life. So I think all of these people so often people come up to me and say, Oh, you do this, you could be you could be in the Paralympics or could you not do this? And you're like, I just want to be able to book a holiday. I just want to be able to do that. Like, I just want to be able to, I want to be able to get the train to the next city yeah, to yeah. go to a meeting. I like the Paralympics. Great. But like, if you trained hard enough, you could run the marathon in a sub three hour time. Like it's just daft. It's daft things to say. So yeah, 
normal for me. It's a, it's such a normal word, but it's such a loaded word at the same time. That's so true. I think we could talk about this for hours. Oh, we I could. Think we might revisit it for yeah. sure at some point. But for now, I just want to thank you for for sharing and for giving, I think everyone who's listening, food for thought. But please take some time, go to the link, go watch A Life with Pip because it'll change you. I promise you because it changed me. And um, I think I'm not unique in that. I think it'll hit home with, with everyone that watches it. I can't wait till we record another episode. But for now, thank you so much for being back, Stephen. It was amazing as always. Thank you, Billy. Much appreciated. Thanks for having yeah, the time to let me do that. Thank you so much for listening to Show Up and Surrender. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information about the podcast and about our guests, go to showupandsurrender.com. On our tips page there, you can also find links to anything that we may have mentioned and ways to connect to our guests. We'll be back soon with another episode of Show Up and Surrender. I hope you'll join us.